Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Charlene Wheelis. Charlene is a renowned communications and leadership expert, author, speaker, and principal of Charlene Wheelis LLC and the senior advisor for equity and justice for APCO worldwide. She helps others learn to retain authenticity in life and in business and find strength in vulnerability. Welcome to the podcast, Charlene. I'm so delighted to have you here. Oh, thank you for being here. You have such a wonderful podcast. I'm happy to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. So in your book, uh, I'm going to pull out this phrase because it just really jumped out at me, and that is humility is overrated. Oh, so yeah. how did how did you get past the ways that women who tout their accomplishments are are described? And uh, well, you, you know, you know, I, I think that um, we just have to recognize that we're going to be described a certain way um, when we when we talk about our accomplishments. And we're going to be talked about a certain way and overlooked if we don't talk about our accomplishments. So to me, it really became the lesser of the two evils, right? Do you want to be forgotten or um, do you want to be successful? And the only way that you can be successful is that people know about your accomplishments. And for whatever reason in the work world, well, there are a lot of reasons for it, but uh, you know, in the work world, women are often taught to, you know, just put your head down, be quiet and work hard. And over time, someone is going to uh, pluck you out of obscurity and you're going to be successful. Right. <laughs> right. And that really is not the um, recipe for success for men. So why should it be for women? So sure. to me, it's you just have to take that deep breath and recognize that there's nothing wrong with talking about your accomplishments. Um, there's certainly, there's something wrong with bragging and only talking about yourself, but it's an opportunity also to bring others along with you, right? Mm. And it's just take that deep breath and, and dive in. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I mean, related to taking others along with you, you, you mentioned that when you lead, there can be a perception that you're, you're taking credit for others' work when you talk about the team's accomplishments, which I know I've seen this, but it still shocked me when I read it because, you know, I've seen this so many times. Uh, I haven't worked in a corporate setting mm-hmm. is uh, when men talk about it, about their team's mm-hmm. accomplishments, they're seen as the leader of this team and therefore also their accomplishment. Whereas you received feedback that, well, it sounds like you're just taking credit for what other people have done. Yes. And I I would say I was, um, to say I was appalled when I got that, um, that feedback would be an understatement. Um, And I really did say to the, the individual um, man who gave me that feedback, I said, wait a minute, you know, you run a group um, that's very large, much larger than my Mm -hmm. group. 
And when you're lauded for your successes, I'm pretty sure no one is saying to you that you take credit, that you're taking credit for your team's work, that they're lauding you for leading this great team. So Mm -hmm. please help me understand why when I do the same thing that you say I'm taking credit for others' work. Is it because I'm a woman? I mean, I just, I just put it right out there for you. That's great. I I wanted him to be aware of what he was doing because I do think often that um, male leaders and sometimes female leaders punish women and they don't necessarily even know they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did he respond in a more self-aware way or was this Um, too, too much for him? Yeah. Let's say he responded in a way that made me know I got my point of, across without ah. him actually having to having to verbally respond. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. that's something maybe, maybe over time. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, my sorry. hope is just that I gave him food for thought for the next person that he was going to say that to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, so how, how do you do this? How do you do that? talk about your accomplishments in a way that gets recognition? Well, I think the the main thing uh, is that people have to understand, and especially with women, when we talk about our accomplishments, we do have to use a lot of we language and not a Mm -hmm. lot of I language. You know, Mm -hmm. men can get away with, I did this and I did that. Whereas women, it's more, we did this together. We did this collaboratively. Um, Yes, I led the team, but we did this together, right? So you're just a little bit more careful about how often you say I versus we, but it's Mm -hmm. important that you put the two together, right? Because if if it's only we language, then you're not viewed as the leader, you're viewed as only part of the team. And it's important that you distinguish yourself as the leader, um, but as the leader of a team that works well together, that works collaboratively, that wins together and loses together. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and that balancing mm-hmm. of the two is, a, that's a really valuable thing to take notice of. Although I find myself thinking as you're describing this, it's like, why do we have to go to such lengths to kind of work it mm-hmm. and not just be able to come out with things? But of course, no communication is is that you know, outside of a very personal one, is that spontaneous or you right. know, you have to think about how you're communicating. Right. Well, sure. and we don't make so, the rules. We're still not at a place yeah. where we make the rules. Right. Yeah. So something I was really struck by in your book um, is how you kind of went, and this is how I thought of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if you saw it that way, that you went from invisible to visible and wondering what that what did that take within you? And tell tell me if I'm I'm describing it in a in a way that you don't resonate with. Yeah, no, I think you're describing it beautifully. Is you know when I started in the corporate world uh, as a young uh, black female, you know, educated, ready to start my career and hit the ground running. You know, I realized pretty early on that um, that I was being ignored or dismissed or underestimated. And, um, and I thought, well, this is not how I'm going to be able to build a successful career. So I uh, employed a few strategies uh, over the years that have, um, in the aggregate, served me well. They didn't always serve me well at the time. 
Uh, and those are the things I talk about in my book. You know, one is, uh, you know, ask for what you want, right? Don't leave it up to others to determine what success should look like for you. Uh, the other is um, another, I should say, is to not be afraid to step up and step out so that you can be seen. You know, so often um, women and particularly uh, minority women, you know, people will tell us who we are and who we aren't and what we can and can't do. And we accept it, we own it, and we become it. And that's the biggest mistake or one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in our career. So I decided early on. Um, a phrase that I use in conversation a lot, which is, um, I reject your premise, right? And mm. so I came to the point when I wanted to do something and someone said, well, I don't think that that's quite right for you, or, you know, you're too young to do that, or, you know, that's not really something women do. Uh, I would question it. I would mm-hmm. say, I, I reject your premise. Why, why shouldn't I be able to try this? And, you know, and I, I learned to say, instead of asking the question, why I started asking the question, why not? Hmm. Right. And I would get a completely different, um, a completely different answer. So to me, you are naturally, my experience has taught me that I am naturally going to be invisible in the workplace um, because Hmm. I'm not the norm, right? I'm, I'm the unicorn, you know, I'm the black woman in the sea of white men. And, uh, and so I knew that I had to employ different tactics to be seen and I had to, um, insist on being seen. And so that means that you step out, you step up, you step out of your comfort zone. Uh, you work harder at the networking and at building relationships. Um, you know, and it's a constant, uh, I don't want to say it's a constant battle, but it's certainly a constant effort. Yeah. Well, I love your attitude and it's a combination to me, it it feels like a combination of strategic and heartfelt, like really drawing on your own character. And I, I know as a woman of color, you're subject to microaggressions all day long, things like, oh, you're so articulate. As oh my as gosh. As, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. 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 I, Yes, I I was telling my husband recently that, um, that I met someone and in the course of the conversation, they made that comment to me, you know, Mm -hmm. you're so articulate and this and that. And, and I actually stopped them in their conversation. And I said, I'm sorry, but um, is, is that meant to be a compliment? Uh, Were you expecting me not to be articulate? You know, and I, you know, I'm old enough now that I am okay with putting people on the spot when something is egregious. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, but I'm certainly yeah. trying to help educate people. Well, and I don't think people are necessarily aware, which does not ex- excuse it, but it it does come from a, a unconscious bias that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets played out in so many different ways. So it's great that you call people on it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did, I mean, you, you went from, I mean, my, uh, don't let me project my experiences onto you, but my experience in corporate was um, stepping out of the box was, let's say, not encouraged. And you, you really have taken, with your experiences, you've really chosen to speak out and share your experiences. And 
I wonder how does that transform you? How did that transform you and continues to transform you? Well, you know, I tell you, Ursula, in the beginning uh, of my career, and I really should say in the beginning of my life from the time I was a little girl, you know, I always knew that I was going to be uh, underestimated uh, or ignored to some extent. And I had um, plenty of experiences from the time I was seven, you know, all the way up to the time that I was 47, that I experienced these things. And so early on, I learned that I was always going to be judged in many cases, first and foremost, by the color of my skin, than by um, who I am as a person, and that people would make uh, assumptions about me. So there's always been a sense of me that um, where I felt, you know, I don't have anything to lose, right. And so that. Uh, emboldened me in, uh, in a lot of ways in how I moved forward in the world. Um, I also learned, quite frankly, to use people's underestimation of me as a superpower. If you, will. Ah. you know, it's like, well, if, if you're not expecting much of me, then you're not paying attention to what I'm doing. Right. So right. I really started to rely on the element of surprise as I started to uh, move up in the world, in the corporate world. And as I started to, um, to achieve uh, and become successful and, uh, and for the most part, I would say by and large, it really uh, worked to my advantage. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I was at the height of my career and I was developed, I was um, diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, you know, as you know, from reading the book, you know, my seven month battle with breast cancer turned into a near four year battle with breast cancer. And Mm -hmm. when I came up for air, I realized that um, I didn't recognize the life I was in. And I didn't necessarily fit into the life I had. And so Mm -hmm. that's what really made me step back and say, what have I given up? in my quest to be successful and to reach the height of my career uh, in the corporate world. And, um, and that, that realization changed my life, actually, mm. uh, because I realized no matter how hard I tried, I was not the person I was before I had cancer and I couldn't yeah. easily fit back into, into that life. And so suddenly I was not the person who was um, using the element of surprise while at the same time, you know, turning myself, contorting myself into whatever I needed to be in order to fit in. Um, right. And so I had to take a step back and say, well, well, who I am, who am I? And what is this life that I'm leading? And what price have I paid for this success? So it was, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Well, and um, yeah, there's many things, but a couple of things in particular I wanted to hone in on on what you said, that fitting in and uh, leaving room for the possibility that it will turn around versus 
shining as brightly as you please. That's a quote from somebody that you met. Right. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that, that, that kind of uh, the choices you have to make around that. Yeah, you know, I've always thought that, um, and and we're told early on that fit matters in the workplace, that you have to fit in and you have to fit into the culture. And I've often believed that, yes, that's true, but, um, but it doesn't mean one size fits all. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's true, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it really does mean one size fits all. And so, you know, I, I, I think I decided early on because I knew that I was not going to be a natural fit. I mean, most of the companies I've worked in, they're industrial or um, defense related. Um, they're run by uh, male, uh, by males, often uh, white males. And so I stood out whether I wanted to or not. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I thought I had two choices. You know, one was that I could try to fade into the woodwork, which is not my personality. Uh, okay. And the other is that I could be a trailblazer and an agent of change. And so uh, I chose the latter. And I really saw it as my responsibility, you know, recognizing that I wouldn't fit. Um, fit in, that it became my responsibility to pave the way for other um, women of color um, to follow. And Mm -hmm. so um, because of that, you know, I didn't um, steer away from situations when I worked for companies where it was really sometimes very uncomfortable. Uh, It was very obvious. um, It didn't matter whether I was comfortable in the space what mattered was whether or not the people around me were comfortable with me being in their space. And, mm-hmm. um, and often uh, they weren't. And so I really made it my life's mission to kind of break down those barriers, you know, to, um, to break up the stereotypes, to give people another way of looking at, um, at women of color. So, you know, I don't overly focus on fit, um, but I do think that fit matters. And, but, I, but I also think that if you're going to be a change agent and you're going to be a trailblazer, you can't just leave because you don't fit and it becomes uncomfortable, sure. right? And so my, um, my advice to people has always been, maybe you don't fit, but stay. It's always easier to make change from inside. Uh, but at the same time, don't stay at the expense of you. So when you yeah. get to a point where the company, you know, you're, you're such a bad fit that, you know, the company starts, you to, starts making you question who you are and your own capability and your own competency, it's time mm-hmm. to go. Because yeah. the only one who's, who's even feeling it is you and you've lost. So you, yeah. so yeah. you need to leave. But up until that point, um, I've really seen myself, my role as being a trailblazer and to make it easier for the people who come behind me. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's doubled in a way, at least doubled in your situation, because as a, as a woman of color, you're always fitting into a white dominated societal system. And yeah, so you know all about fitting in Mm -hmm. so that you can even make progress. So uh, has your attitude in that way changed with time too? Uh, it absolutely has. And and I don't know so much that it's time as it was my cancer diagnosis. Hmm. And, you know, I've always had um, a voice. It hasn't always been listened to, but I've always had a voice. 
uh, when I came out of um, the most difficult parts of my cancer battle, uh, my voice became stronger and it became different. And mm. it was really more about um, speaking up on behalf of others than it was about speaking up on behalf of myself. You know, and I really decided then uh, that, you know, my mission, my purpose was no longer to climb the corporate ladder and to stay in what I call this proving mode, right? Mm -hmm. Constantly trying to prove that you're good enough, you're enough of this, you're not too much of that, Um, Mm -hmm. that it was time for people to be able to, and by people, I mean, women, women of color, disenfranchised groups. It was time for us to be able to be successful by being ourselves, by being authentic, and uh, and that really became my um, my rallying cry, and that really became my purpose uh, is um, really empowering people to see and understand their own superpower, and to realizing that to realize that they can be unapologetically themselves and still be successful. Yeah. Well, something you talk about in the book is uh, I was very struck by is that you came to realize that you can uh, recycle the armor, put away the cape, that you no longer need those things. And that that is huge. I know Brene Brown talks Mm -hmm. about kind of undefended leadership. There is a term she uses. Mm -hmm. I can't think of it at the moment. But um, yeah, Tell us more about that. Yeah, you know, um, I learned, uh, again, early in my career as I was, um, you know, climbing that proverbial corporate ladder, you know, in the book, I talk about every morning, you know, getting up, getting ready for work. And the last thing I would do is grab my invisible suit of armor. And that suit of armor was necessary because I knew of all the micro and macro aggressions that I was going to face every single day. And it was my shield that protected me from that. Uh, mm-hmm. And later, while I still needed that shield, I became a working mother and I traded that shield in for what I call my, su- you know, my superwoman cape, right? Um, <laughs> because you've got to be a superwoman if you're going to try to be a working parent. And, uh, and when I, after my cancer, uh, cancer treatment, I went back to work, I realized that I needed that cape. Um, because I needed to still be a superhero, but I really needed that, that suit of armor because it was so much harder to go back to work uh, and try to pick up where I left off. And I needed them both. And I struggled. Um, I ultimately left the corporate world after trying it for a year and a half or so um, because I couldn't do it. And um and in leaving the corporate world and taking a step back and just kind of evaluating and saying, where is my life taking me now? How is my life unfolding? You know, I realized that I didn't need the cape. I didn't need, you know, the super armor because I'm enough. I had spent mm-hmm. 30 plus years building this life that I walked away from but it was a life that was built on constantly having to prove that I was enough. And, um, you know, after the 30 plus years, after my cancer uh, diagnosis and subsequent treatment, I came to the realization for the first time that I am enough. 
And I didn't need everything else. So in this work that you're doing now, mm-hmm. um, what are you seeing in terms of how y- you sharing your own experiences, you talking about what you've gone through, how is that leading to transformation of others in, in your work? Yeah, you know, Ursula, it has been, uh, it has really been incredible um, and much more uh, positive and impactful than I could have ever uh, really imagined you know, particularly mm. with the book, uh, with the book coming out and people who have read the book, you know, I hear from people on two fronts. I hear from people who um, I've never met uh, and who will send me messages on LinkedIn or through my website. And I'm thinking of one, uh, one woman in particular who said to me, your book changed my life. Mm. Your wow. book gave me the courage that I needed to make a different choice in my life than the direction I was going down. Um, I've had other people send me messages and say, I didn't know I needed to read your book until I read your book. Oh. And, um, and so it, it has just been incredible. And then on the other side of it, as you know, I do talk about through my blog posts, my, um, my cancer journey, and, um, mm-hmm. which has been very non-traditional. And, uh, you know, and I have people who reach out to me who say, thank you for helping me be a better friend to someone who has cancer. Um, I have people who reach out to me uh, and say, I have, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. Would you mind talking with me or can I text you? And I'd say today, I probably have at any given time, five or six people, maybe only a percentage of them that I actually know that I text on a weekly basis to either words of encouragement or they're asking me questions about, you know, their treatment and what do I think about this and what's coming ahead. Uh, And I really pride myself on being very honest with people about what happens when you have um, breast cancer and what that Mm -hmm. means for your life and the rest of your life. And um, I'm very honest with people about what it's like climbing the corporate ladder as a female and as a, as a woman of color. And, um, and so the, the impact has been just tremendous uh, on both fronts. And uh, even my husband has said to me, um, who happens to be a white male, by the way, um, who, who has said to me a number of times, he says, you know, you're a great executive, um, but I think you've really found your calling. And what that's great. Does it feel, does that feel true for you? It does. It does. You know, I'm an, um, an achievement junkie and I've spent (laughs) 30 plus years building this corporate career and intellectually, I feel like I should still be going after that corporate career. But Mm -hmm. in my heart, when I think about what makes my heart sing, uh, it's what I'm doing now. And, uh, you know, I started a consulting company because I'm a, a communications and corporate affairs professional. And um, I started it uh, almost a year before my book came out. And people mm. would call me and ask me if I was um, interested in doing, you know, executive coaching or being a thought partner or um, leadership or life coaching. And in every case, Ursula, I said, no, that's not really what my business is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and once the book, once we started promoting the book and the book came out, um, I had another epiphany, if you will, 
And <laughs> as much as I love communications and it is my passion, um, I, I believe I'm meant to be a coach for people. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. And I mean, it's incredibly generous of you to be texting people going through the cancer journey and, and how interesting that you're, the way in which you're choosing to have impact has shifted and you're willing to listen to that and make changes to really honor that. Yeah. It's, you know, I'd love to say it was easy. <laughs> um, but mentally it hasn't been easily, easy, yeah. but in my well, heart, you, it has you, been. Well, you're giving up an identity right. I mean, you're giving up a way of thinking about yourself and the way you are in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not a small thing. Yeah. And, you know, I've always felt, you know, I am, um, I'm a Christian and I have been my entire life. And I've always felt that if something bad happens to you, that you have a responsibility to turn it into something positive for others. And mm -hmm. uh, when I um, was sick, I didn't know what that purpose was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to have anything to do with it. You know, I think in my mind, I thought that I was going to show how you can beat cancer and come back stronger than ever as that type a executive working 60 hours a week. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that was just what I was meant to do in life. So no one was more surprised uh, than me when I realized that being that high powered corporate executive um, was fun while I was doing it, but it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And once yeah. I made that, um, quasi mental shift, because I'm still getting there. But once <laughs> sure. I made that quasi mental shift, you know, my life just started unfolding in a way I, I would have just never imagined. Yeah, I, I, it's a beautiful thing to hear about. And it's, you know, you've really taken your experiences and made something uh, unique and transformative. I keep using that word because that's what comes to my mind around you. But um, you've chosen to do that. And of course, we're all affected by what's happened and we bring our experiences into the present, but you've really done that in a way that's uh, benefiting people and, and at the same time, actualizing yourself in ways that you hadn't before. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I start to think about how does all of this come together? And I um, you know, I started my, I mean, I left my corporate job um, shortly before the pandemic began, not the best timing, right? <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, and when, uh, when George Floyd was murdered last a year ago, um, last yeah. May, um, yeah. a lot of executives, um, white executives were calling me saying, hey, Charlene, you know, what should I be doing? What should I be saying to my employees, et cetera? You know, and I mm -hmm. realized that I was probably one of the few black executives that they could call and feel comfortable asking the question of, right. right? And I thought, my goodness, that's a whole nother purpose that I didn't anticipate, you know? And I didn't shame them. I didn't say, you know, why are you calling me or, or anything? I was just happy to be a resource for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and while I never saw myself as being a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, um, mm -hmm. which I'm not, quite frankly, I am much more focused on equity and justice than I am DE&I. Um, right. But all of this started coming to bear for this moment that I'm in. 
And um, it's been a beautiful thing to just watch unfold. Well, and I'm sure it was greatly appreciated. I, I, you know, having a resource like you, um, especially when you're in a senior level position and you influence so many people, um, I'm sure that was a really high valuable thing for them. Yeah, it's led to some great conversations with people. Yeah, uh, conversations that I probably couldn't have had if I were um, still representing a company. Uh, mm-hmm. But because the only company I represent now it, um, is my own, other than um, some work <laughs> I do for Apto Worldwide. But, right, right. Um, you know, I'm able to have those difficult conversations. And when um, I remember talking to an, uh, a CEO who was looking to hire another C-suite uh, employee, uh, executive, and he was mentioning to me that one of his final candidates um, was a black man. And he just wasn't sure if he wanted to, if that was the right fit, because he was looking for someone that really had the fire in the belly and came in with all the ideas and, you know, just really had a passion and a way that they, they wanted to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to him, I said, well, with all due respect, you know, most black men are taught their entire lives not to come in in an aggressive way or, right. you know, with the fire in the belly. Um, yeah, because it's off-putting to people. I said, well, and it's downright dangerous right, in right. some settings. I mean, the whole Karen phenomenon mm-hmm. and exactly. And so it's, and it's great to be able to have those kinds of honest conversations with people to really get them to perhaps see their own bias um, in the hiring process, in the mm-hmm. leadership development process. Yeah, that's so good. Well, and it gives you an opportunity to get into conversation about not just inclusion, because that always has, I don't know, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to say it has an artificial quality, but it's kind of like, well, you know, you can be part of us, which is not the same as belonging in the sense of you actually get to influence mm-hmm. how things evolve. You get to be part of the evolution of what's here rather than just being allowed to fit in, which right, I mean, right. word inclusion can smack of that. Yeah. You know, I actually, Ursula, don't give a crap about inclusion. <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you, for all the reasons that you just said, you know, yeah. I want to know that you believe I belong in your organization. I want to know that you value that I'm here, that you value my input and that you make room for me to have that input. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I care about. You know, the fact that you're letting me in your circle, that's inclusion. Right. And, you know, that's not very valuable to me. Right. I I want to contribute and I want to know that my contributions matter. And, you know, I say with DE&I and and with all due respect to, um, you know, DE&I consultants, we've been, we corporate America, we've been trying to solve DE&I for 40 or 50 years, right? If Mm -hmm. traditional DE&I was the answer, we wouldn't be having these conversations right now. Well, and DE&I is really very centered around education. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I mean, it's been proven that simple education is not enough. Right. 
Right. It's, it's about opportunity, you know, and uh, yeah, 30 years ago when I started my career, 33 years ago, I started my career at a very large multi-billion dollar company. And I would ask the question of why aren't there more people here that look like me? And right. people would say, well, it's a pipeline issue, right? right. And yeah. um, if you ask people today, a lot of yeah. leaders will tell you it's a pipeline issue. Well, yeah. it's been 30 plus years. Haven't those people grown yeah. up? How can it still possibly yeah. be a pipeline issue? I you know. know, the people are there. Go find them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this in the book, this organization Catalyst, yeah. which has been an advocate for women in senior positions. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that pipeline thing after all these years just does not cut it anymore. Right. And it's, it's, it, there has to be a recognition of a systemic problem where it's not going to be resolved. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And, and there's so much proof out there that it's, that it's systemic, you know, and we, we've all worked for these companies to say, oh, well, we're a meritocracy, right? Well, meritocracy yeah. and diversity is a marriage made in hell. Okay. <laughs> you know, how can you have a meritocracy when it's subjective by nature? Yeah. Right. Right. And if it's subjective yeah. and all the people at the top look the same, how can you say you're an org- organization built on meritocracy? It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Well, there's an exercise and you've probably done this where you get people to line up and then you ask them questions mm-hmm. like, did you attend a uh, high level school? Right. Did you have both parents at home? And each time you answer in the affirmative, you get to step forward. And after a few questions, you start to notice that there's this divergence and some people are way back almost at the f- starting line mm-hmm. and you're far ahead. I, I always thought that was a really poignant illustration of how mm-hmm. it's it's I mean it's the difference between equity and equality exactly. of give, give everybody the same size step stool to look over a fence if you're shorter you're just not gonna right be able to see over right it, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah anyway I uh I wanted to to uh, wrap up and with the last question before the rapid round by something you've already referred to that you came to a realization of I am enough. What has that meant to you? You know, I think both as a as a female, you know, as a woman of color uh, walking through this world, uh, my life and my career, you're constantly made to think that you're not enough of something and um, you're either too much of this or this, whatever's required to fit in. And I think it's not just me. I think this is evidenced by um, the number of women and people who suffer from imposter syndrome. And, you know, ultimately what I came to believe is, you know, again, I had said that I, um, I am a Christian and I am a child of the most high God. And for those of us who are Christians, we very much believe that we were made exactly how we were supposed to be. We were made to be able to run our own race and we are enough to do that. And I think everybody, and especially women need to recognize that we are exactly who we are supposed to be, right? And we don't have to be in this proving mode, right? And as as I like to say to people, and especially women, you know, 
why are you trying to get everybody to like you when you don't even like everybody else? Right? <laughs> you know? And so, to me, so being enough is knowing deep inside that you are who you are meant to be. And it's enough to become whoever it is that you want to be. And knowing that deep down inside, and it requires you to constantly remind yourself because there is a whole world of people out there who are more than happy to tell you that you're not enough and what you need to be. And I just really, you know, and part of the reason why I wrote the book is because I don't want people to own that. You know, someone says, oh, you're black, so you're never going to be able to do this. Now, why Mm. would I own that? Right? Right. Yeah. But normally we would, we would own it. Oh, you're a woman. You can't do this. Right. And we say, oh yeah, you're right. Or it creeps in there after you've been told a few hundred times. Oh, absolutely. Over and over and over again. And it just goes back to, um, as I said earlier, reject the premise. Just because someone thinks that you're something doesn't mean that you have to become that. Yeah. I love that. Well, Charlene, thank you. And uh, so, as you know, always do this rapid round of three questions about impact. And our our first question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Um, I've learned the power of impact, um, but I've learned the importance of recognizing um, your impact on others based on your behavior. And that can be positive or negative. You You may have the best intentions, but the impact on others may be negative. And so if you really want to make an impact, you also have to be aware of how that plays out for other people. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, the second question is, what is the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Live my life authentically. Hmm. I think that when I am trying to be or attempting to be something I'm not or something that uh, who other people think I should be. Uh, I can't bring my best self to any situation, personal or, uh, or professional. And so the best thing that I can do for anyone is to be uh, authentically me. And that's um, in my book. That's why I'm so honest and so raw in some parts of it, because that's Mm -hmm. just authentically me. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's, it said, it's said that whole authenticity word is so used, but there's so much behind it. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the last question is what's, what's an insight or a piece of advice you'd share with someone who's saying, I want to have more impact. How do I do that? What would you say to them? I tell people that it is choice, not chance that changes your life. Mm. Right. And so um, many people think that their impact is limited because of their lot in life or because of the situation that they're in or that they're stuck. And I think one of the most empowerful and most empowering things that we can learn is that it is choice, not chance that changes your life. I've never heard anyone articulate it in that way. And it's uh, it's a great um, statement to remember. So thank you for that. Yes, of course. 
and and thank you, Charlene, for everything that you've shared today, aspects of your story, which of course are, are uh, there's a lot more of that in the book. Mm-hmm. And also just sharing yourself and the way that you have chosen to be in the world. It's inspiring to hear um, what you've done with that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, thank you for, for being here. Of course, of course. It's my pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to buy your book, where can they do all that? So my book, um, uh, the full name is uh, You Are Enough, Reclaiming Your Career and Your Life with Purpose, Passion, and Unapologetic Authenticity. Uh, It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, and anywhere books are are sold. Uh, It's it's available Mm -hmm. in independent bookstores. Uh, also, you can reach me on my website, which is charlenewheelis.biz. That's B as in boy, I-Z as in zebra. Uh, and also, I'm very active on uh, LinkedIn under uh, Charlene Wheelis. And I really encourage people to, um, to reach out to me, um, whether you're looking for just some inspiration, whether you're looking for a coach, or you're just looking for some free advice, I'm more than happy. Um, to uh, make myself available in any way, because it's all about um, impact to me. And it's all about helping others go through the world in a more authentic way. Mm, Love that. Well, Charlene, thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you, Ursula, for your show. I really appreciate it. And I encourage other people to um, uh, those who are listening to listen to other sessions of Ursula's show, because I've learned Mm -hmm. a lot by listening to some of your other podcasts as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one with me 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com slash BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Siouan people. 